Christ alone and then to the glory of God alone is where we'll end. But today uh, I have the great privilege of preaching uh, and teaching on grace alone, a cornerstone of uh, our our theology as believers, um, something that has been uh, fought over and taught for uh, thousands of years or hundreds of hundreds of years and uh, all the way back into the time of Christ uh, we have seen arguments over his grace and how how it works and so we're going to talk about that today and and really uh, try to get a good understanding of what it means uh, when we say grace alone now uh, we're going to be reading out of uh, the book of Ephesians chapter number two uh, which is probably one of the greatest uh, sections of Scripture that can teach us on God's salvation, His grace, uh, where we come from as sinners, uh, really gives a very clear explanation of salvation. I'm not going to be able to go into great detail uh, in this passage. It would take many, many weeks uh, to really dive in deep. So we're going to look at it uh, on, on a more of a surface level. We are going to try to get as deep as we can uh, in with the time allotted. Um, but this morning, that's where our text will be. So let's open with prayer, and then we will uh, see what the Lord has for us today. Lord, we thank you again uh, for this doctrine of grace. Lord, we thank you for the importance of grace and how grace uh, it affects our lives uh, in such an important way. And Lord, we thank you for the men and women over the many years that have written and fought uh, to defend this doctrine and uh, how important it has been over the many, many years uh, since you have revealed it to us in your word, your doctrine of grace. And Lord, I pray that we would be, again, enlightened and encouraged this morning in your word. Amen. So, um, like I said, the, the doctrine of grace has been really even through the time that Paul was writing this and then into the early church and throughout church history uh, has been something that has been fought and, and looked at differently and, and really disputed in many different ways. In Augustine which many of you might have known the name, uh, was a a man that lived in the late 300s and early 400s and was a man known primarily for defending the doctrine of grace. Doctrine of grace, but not grace only, but grace alone. He has been quoted to say, God gives us what we cannot earn. He was a defender and would uh, debate this in many ways. And in the same period of time, there was a man named Pelagian. was a monk during that time, and he, he lived in uh, 300 and, uh, th- late 300 and 400 A.D. And Pelagian was a scholar and a teacher, uh, and he, again, was a monk. And he taught something that we call Pelagianism. And Pelagian is, is the basic understanding that the belief that people are born innocent without the stain of original sin, 
Pelagian taught that Adam's sin did not affect men directly, and God, and man's are uh, born with a without a sin nature. This is the the thing that he was teaching during the time Augustine, and they were writing back and forth and debating back and forth. If you know Scripture at all, you would understand how many errors are in Pelagianism. Basically, the idea is that men are basically good and that we don't need God's grace. We will live and obtain salvation by good merit. And if you are a believer in Christ, it will aid you in the ability to... uh, to live a better life. But really, we're, we're not sinful people by nature. And that is what he taught. <coughs> and then as time went on, there came a belief which called semi-Pelagianism. Semi. And this is the understanding that the Catholic Church began to adopt during the time of Martin Luther and what he was fighting against. And so this has been something that they were fighting for a long time. But this was in Martin Luther where we see the, the five solos starting to kind of come together as a group. What he was fighting was this thought of semi-Pelagianism, which basically is the idea of man is only partially sinful or depraved. Partial depravity. We are not fully depraved from God. You're partially depraved. And what they, the thought is, is that you do as much as you possibly can, and the grace of God will take care of the rest. So that it's a joint effort in your salvation, that I need to do a certain amount of works and, and, and live in a, in a way that would glorify God and, and do the right things, and live in a, in a certain accordance, and um, whatever I fall short in that, God's grace will take care of the rest. And that's what semi-Pelagianism would taught, which is again very far from what Scripture would teach. But that is what Martin Luther was dealing with, and the other men of the Reformation of that day were dealing with this thought of semi-Pelagianism which we talked about in Sola Scriptura and in Faith Alone, where uh, you would have to do indulgence to, to obtain heaven or to get somebody out of hell and get them to heaven. You would have to do indulgence and spend a certain amount of money. And you would have to do this and that. And, and there was all kinds of rules, the same thing that was going on in the time of Christ that we see in the Gospels with the 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 uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees putting rules and regulations on how men and women should live. The same thought process has been given into this semi-Pelagianism idea. And Martin Luther and the other reformers were fighting for grace alone. And that's what we're going to be talking today. I wanted to give you just a little bit of a background of why this is, was important in that day. It's always been important to understand this. But they were combating a thought that grace was only partially effective in your life. That grace was not all you needed. You also needed to live 
a certain type of life and, and, and give indulgence and, and, and make sure you do so many Hail Marys and all of the things that were gathered around the Catholic Church at that time it, um, was falsely teaching what, what Scripture would actually have us to know is grace alone. We are saved by grace. And we're going to understand that um, uh, and, and see that in front of us today. But Paul points us in our passage here in Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2, he points us to where we once were. Now, uh, this morning, uh, some of you were in uh, the other Sunday school class, but we were, uh, the ones that were in the Roman class this morning, talked about God's wrath towards sinful men and where we were and where we have come from as sinful men there in Romans. And Paul explains the similar thing here in Ephesians chapter number 2. So in verse number 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Let's understand the word here, dead, means dead. Okay, it's not a metaphor. It, it gives the clear understanding that you were dead. But how do we understand that we were dead? We weren't, we're not uh, dead physically, bodily. We're dead spiritually. We cannot understand the things of God because we are dead spiritually is what he is talking about. And you were dead. Now, reminding us here of the book of Ephesians, he is writing to Ephesian believers. And so he's reminding them of where they have come from. Okay, so as we read this, make sure you follow along that this is talking about, Paul is reminding them of where they have come from. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's all you could do. The only thing you could do is trespasses and sin. Okay? And we understand Paul reminds us of that. And we see that again in Romans. Paul, I'm going to go through different passages this morning. But Paul emphasizes this in Romans 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so that death spread to all men because all sin. Okay, this is a clear dispute of Pelagianism. Romans here is talking about death, man's sin entered into the world by one man's sin. One man's sin is what brought sin in the world, and that is the sin of Adam. And death by that man's sin. So that all, uh, so that all have sinned and becomes uh, have, have all sinned. We are all classified as sinners. Before we can understand the power of grace and why grace affects us so much, we have to understand where we stand before God. And we stand before God as fallen men and women. We have fallen from Him, and all we can do is sin, because that is our nature. Our nature is to sin. Ephesians 2.2, 2, in, in which we formerly walked, reminding them again, this is who you were, and for, 
uh, in which we formerly walked according, uh, uh, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and of the spirit is, uh, is now working in the sons of disobedience. We walked according to the way the devil leads us. Before salvation, we walked in accordance to the former uh, uh, ways of the world. We walked as those that were in the world according to the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air is referring to Satan. And we walked with him and in his spirit. We understand that uh, our condition before an almighty God we formerly walked in wickedness. In 1 Corinthians 2, 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 says, But a natural man does, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. The natural man, the man without Christ, the dead man, as Paul would say here, does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him. Romans talks about it being foolishness to them. In Romans chapter 1 and verse uh, 22, it says, being wise, they became fools. Being wise in their own eyes, they became fools. Understanding again, Paul is rolling out this thought in the first three verses of our former condition of where we were. We could only be in sin and we were sons of disobedience. Verse number three, among them we too are formerly lived. Again, reminding them. Paul is constantly reminding them. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Again, if you wanted to be able to refute Pelagianism and say that that is a false teaching, all you need to do is come to Ephesians chapter 2 and read these first three verses. And in reading in Romans, uh, we will find that it is a false teaching that we are depraved and that we are by nature. Remember, our nature as a fallen creature, as an unregenerated person, our nature is to sin and to deny God and to run from Him. That is where we stand as unbelievers. As those that do not follow God. And that is where we formerly, and as he's speaking to the Ephesians here, where you formerly were, even as the rest. Now if I stopped there and, and we ended, it would be kind of a tragic ending, wouldn't it? It would be kind of like, well, there's not a whole lot of hope today in our lives. And without verse 4, we would have no hope. 
but verse 4 is probably one of the greatest verses in our Bible we have that shows who God is. All of this is said about you and I. Remember, this is the status of where you and I live in before salvation. We are corrupt and desire nothing more than sin. That is where we are. But in verse 4 it says, But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, because of His great mercy, but God, If that word, but God, doesn't give you chills this morning, understanding who you were. What the problem in America today, and the problem really around our world, is we do not view ourselves as sinners. We do not view ourselves as fallen and away from God and vile humans. Because the narrative in our media and the narrative on TV and what they want us to believe is that humans are basically good. And that we have a basic good desire to do what is right. You see that constantly berated in the news and on the media and even across our pulpits in our land. And that is the thought of Pelagianism. We are not by nature good. We are by nature sinful and depraved. And why I'm making such an important point on this is I'm getting that from Paul, is if you don't understand where you were, you will not understand why verse 4 is such a huge verse for the believer. By but God, God is coming to view here, being rich in mercy. Why is it talk about his rich mercy? Because he would have to have so much mercy, he had to be rich in mercy to deal with humans and our nature. His mercy would have to be great because of his great love with which. He loved us. Titus chapter number 3. Titus chapter number 3 points, us to, points out uh, the same point. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done. Uh, I would really encourage you to write these down in your, uh, in your bulletin. Write these verses down and, and put them to memory or, or make sure that you really understand them. He, says, uh, he has saved us not on the base of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by, which, by, by the washing and regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
but God being rich in mercy. We could probably spend the entire hour just talking about God's riches of mercy and His love. As a song leader, I get the opportunity to pick our songs, and you have pages and pages and pages in your hymnal that are dedicated to songs that are talk about His mercy and His love. And those songs don't even reach a a small portion of understanding of who He is. One of my favorite songs to sing, the the third verse, it talks about if uh, if the skies were of parchment, if the entire skies were of parchment, and the ocean was filled with ink, and every man on earth had a pen, the song calls it a quill, where they dip their quill into the ocean and write on the sky of parchment, it could not contain His love. That is how much love and mercy He bestows upon us. But we will not grasp that unless we grasp our sinful nature in who we are. We are fallen, but God. But God who is rich in mercy and love with which He loved us. In verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Now let's pause there for a minute. When we were dead in our trespasses, what ability do dead people have to do anything for themselves? None. Dead people have no ability in and of themselves to do anything. And I'm not going to get into uh, portions of this this morning that would talk uh, about, uh, well, I I might, I don't know. I'll I'll just, I'll I'll recant that statement because I might get there, I don't know. But we are dead in our trespasses. We can do nothing. It's the same statement as made up there in verse 1. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. So understanding that is very important. Because we have beliefs today that would contradict what I'm about to say. Or what Scripture is about to say here. Even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace we have been saved. We were dead in the way that we lived. We were apart from God. We were as dead men walking. Could do nothing in and of ourselves. But He made us alive together with Christ. Now, Tyler is going to really emphasize the the thought process, the importance of Christ next week. Make sure you're here because if you miss Christ, you've missed it all. Right? If you miss Christ, you've missed it all. Okay, so it, it says, made us alive together with Christ. The with Christ is Christ has been what? Raised from the dead. We are raised to newness in life because Christ was raised 
to new life. These verses would make no sense if Christ was still in the grave and still dead. If Christ had not raised from the dead, this would read more something like, and, and, uh, and made us alive together. Uh, it, it couldn't even say together because Christ would be dead. Made us alive uh, by grace you were saved. They would have to totally leave out together with Christ if he was still dead. So the resurrection of Christ is essential in this understanding of grace and what we get and, and why we have grace and the importance of grace in our lives. In Romans verse five or chapter five, sorry, in Romans chapter five and verses six through eleven. It, it, clear, it, it, it gives us a, a deep meaning of this understanding. For while we were still helpless, the understanding the word helpless there is the same as dead. Why we were helpless. When we understand the word helpless, what do we mean? Think of a brand new baby. Brand new baby. Okay, the, the mother has just brought him home from the hospital. That child can do nothing. It is completely helpless. It has to have someone do everything for it. Completely helpless. That's the thought here. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Okay. There was a time appointed for Christ to die for the ungodly. Verse 7, For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His love, His own love towards us. How? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were living in, within those three verses, of those first three verses, Christ came and died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. His wrath was poured out upon us. And because of Christ saving justifying blood we are saved from God's wrath verse 10 for if while we were enemies with uh, we were reconciled we were enemies but we were reconciled to God through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life because he was raised not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have now received reconciliation. And, I, and again, a lot of that is pointing to who Christ is and why it's important that we understand Christ is the cornerstone of our salvation. And through Him, we get grace. Because of Him, because of God, we get his grace. In verse number 6 and 7, He raised us up. Now, verses 4 and 5 talk about His grace, His mercy, 
His love towards us. It talks about the condition that we were in and what Christ has done for us by making us alive in Christ through grace. And then it talks about in verses 6 and 7 here about what condition that grace and that Christ gives us. The condition we live in because of that. We uh, and raised us up. God raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the age to come we might know the surpassing riches of, of, uh, of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The age to come. When verse 6 is talking about we are seated on that throne today metaphorically speaking as we live in our world today we are seated next to Christ as a position because he has saved us he has taken us from dead men men that defiled ourselves and that could do nothing but sin and by his love and mercy and grace because of his death on the cross has given us a position next to Him in heaven. That is an unbelievable thought process to, to try to even wrap our minds around. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because we are in Christ, we are seated in those heavenly places. A places reserved for those that know him. We're going to get to the meat of the sermon here in just a minute. But in verse number 7, it says, so that in the age to come, and when the rapture happens and the millennial reign, and we, we see Christ in all of His glory, this is what we will see. If you go to Revelations chapter number 7, Revelation 7, 9 through 12, it talks about the picture that we'll see in heaven and what a glorious thing it is and the surpassing riches that he's going that we will see and partake in after the, this is john recounting what he has seen in a vision after these things i looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and every tribe and people and tongue. This is not excluding anyone. Okay? This is talking about when we are in heaven. Every tribe, every tongue, every, every people, every nation. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and, the and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around, and, uh, around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on, fell on their face before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This 
is what we are saved to. This is when God is going to reveal the surpassing riches of who he is. We will spend eternity learning about him. This is what we get because verse 4 says, but God being rich in his mercy towards you and I. Because of that, we get to partake in this amazing, amazing uh, time that is spent praising God. Now, verses 8 and 9 are very familiar. Very familiar to us, but we're going to make sure that we fully understand how these verses can get us to understand that we have nothing to do with salvation in and of ourselves, but it is only God. Verses 8 and 9 say, For by grace. What is grace? Let's talk about that for just a second. Grace is getting something that you and I don't deserve. Getting something we don't deserve. When we understand where we come from, we don't deserve His salvation. We don't deserve the death of His Son on the cross. We don't deserve anything but condemnation and punishment. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Tyler taught on faith last week. Faith is also something that is given to us. Grace is given to us. Faith is given to us. And he explains himself here, making sure that we understand salvation is only through Christ in grace and faith. Because in the latter part of verse 8 it says, and that not of yourselves... It is a gift of God. It is not of ourselves. It is a gift given to us by God. And verse 9 reemphasizes it again and says, Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. No one may boast. Romans 3 and verses 23 and 24 familiar verses to us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need His grace because we've all sinned. Being justified as a gift by the grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. This morning, what I really want us to understand and why I led off with the story of uh, this belief that we are kind of good and kind of bad and we kind of need grace, but we can do it on our own, is such a blasphemy to a holy God. It's blasphemy to think that we could do anything of ourselves. For by grace, grace is something we can't do. Faith is given to us. God gives us the faith. He gives us the grace. 
and that not of ourselves, it is nothing to do with us, but is a gift. And you've heard this analogy, but if you give your child a gift on their birthday and then say, go mow the lawn and you can play with it, it is no longer a gift. It's no longer a gift. A gift is predicated on the recipient doing nothing to receive it. And in this case, even the more, as parents, how many of you uh, that have grown children maybe are thinking of them and have had uh, multiple birthday parties that you maybe have, have given present to, and at some point in that party or in that child's year uh, or coming up to their birthday, they, they lived in a way that you're like, you ain't getting nothing for your birthday this year, right? You ain't getting nothing. You don't deserve a dadgum thing, and I might take a couple of your toys away, right? That is how we would live as, uh, that's how we conduct ourselves as humans. If God conducted himself that way, we would never get anything. But because of verse 4, but God, rich in his mercy. Now, some of you parents are thinking, yeah, I threatened it, but I, I never was able to carry that out, right? Because you love your child so much, you want to give them a gift. And it's predicated, in some cases, they don't deserve it. Most cases, they don't deserve it. My wife says often that the the mother is the one that should get the gifts. She had the child. So she, she always tries to put that in there, right? But rabbit trail. All right, so let's get back to for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Understanding this, and I heard this um, in, uh, in a while I was doing my studies, and it, it was a perfect statement. We have as much to do with our salvation. Now, understand this. We have as much to do with our salvation as creation did with creating itself. Does that make sense? We have as much to do with our own salvation as creation does with creating itself. Creation did not create itself. Creation was created by God alone. We see that in where? Genesis 1. Creation was created by God. All that we see and know was created by God. We went over that again here uh, in Sunday school this morning in Romans 18. Or, or Chapter 1 in verses 18 through 25 clearly talk about God is the creator and we know that and we can see that. And creation had nothing to do with creating itself. When it says, not of yourselves but as a gift, it is the same idea. We have nothing to do with our salvation. It is entirely a work of God. Entirely a work of God. Well, you say, Mark, there's this thing called free will. Well, I want you to explain to me how free will and a dead person work together. 
Does a dead person have a free will to choose God? No. A dead person cannot choose God. Would not choose God. Because he's dead. Spiritually dead. And because of that, it is entirely a work of God. It is His grace alone that saves you and I. If that doesn't get you excited as a believer, I don't know what can. It is entirely God who saves you and keeps you. When you understand where you were, now where you are as a believer, and that it is entirely a work of God that saves you and keeps you, and it is a free gift knowing we didn't deserve it, it should cause you to be on your face before Him. And verse 9 talks about why it has nothing to do with us. It's so that no one can boast. No one can boast. If you at all say you had a part of your salvation, you are boasting in yourself. We had nothing to do. There wasn't some figurative tree floating out there that came and talked to God and said, hey, plant me over there. And so therefore God created the tree after it asked to be created. That was a very confusing statement, right? Because it, it, it don't work. A tree that's not created can't ask to be created and then be planted. It doesn't work. And a person that is dead cannot ask to become alive because they are dead. The only way that they can come alive is by God's grace through faith, both given to them. And Christ, through His sacrificial blood on the Christ, is the one that gives you that life. That gives you that life. What an exciting thought that is. And then in verse 10, Verse 10 concludes this thought. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. A lot of stuff talking about God, 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 and God. For we are His workmanship, he is the one that does the work within us. We are His creation. We are brought alive through Him. Created in Christ Jesus. We are His workmanship and we have been brought to new life because of Christ Jesus for good works which He prepared beforehand. Sounds a lot like God knew what He was going to do before He formed the world. And He knew the works that we were going to perform. And He knew the life. And again, I, I'm, this is where I was saying I, I don't want to go too deep into this because that is an entirely uh, message in and of itself. But what I do want to talk about is that God created us to worship Him and to do the good works to worship Him. And He prepared that in us before 
can. This was a part of our Sunday school lesson this morning. Uh, but it's in Romans 1, verses 19 and 20. It says, Because that which is known about God is evident with, uh, within him, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, it is, uh, it, the world is his invisible attributes, and eternal power and divine nature have been made clear, clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that there are without excuse. God is talking about, it's evident that he created and, and, and built everything. God is the creator of the world, and he is also the one that keeps us and performs the good works that we do and our workmanship and our good works. And he's prepared that beforehand. Before. All of this is to say our work of salvation and grace alone is all about Christ and what he has done for us. And that if you are saved this morning, it is entirely a work of Christ in you. Because the boasting is to boast in Him and Him alone. We are to boast in Christ and Christ alone. If you're tempted to boast of anything of yourself, you are taking from His glory and blaspheming. It is Christ who deserves all the credit for salvation. And we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But by grace, we have been saved through faith. It's not of us, but it's of a gift. It's a free gift that God works within us. So when you hear someone this morning, the understanding of the, the idea of grace alone, grace alone means nothing to do with you or anything else. It is entirely a work of God in your salvation. Entirely. It is getting something we don't deserve and could never be good enough to deserve is His grace. And it is that alone which gives us the salvation With, through Christ Jesus, which will lead perfectly into next week because next week we are going to hear about Christ and His sacrifice and what He has done for us. And because of Christ, we can have grace and we can have faith and newness of life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much again for Your Word. We thank You for grace. We thank You that be, even though we were wretched, vile, fallen, sinful creatures, the verse 4 is there. But God, in His love and mercy, saved us and gave us the gift of salvation. Lord, if there's someone today that is unsure of that or would like to speak to someone and find out more clearly what I was saying today, 
uh, grab myself or Tyler or uh, one of the ladies here and um, find out what it means to be born again and to have a new life, a new creation, a new status because of Him. And in your name, amen.